welcome to Into the Fryer Ramblings from the Kitchen podcast. I am your host, Matt Hewitt. I want to introduce today's guest, Rene Negron. He's a sushi maestro, axe thrower, and just all-around cool dude. I had a really great time talking with him. I hope that you enjoy the podcast as much as I did doing the interview. Take care, everyone. I hope you're having a safe and happy holiday season. And here we are, Renee Negron. Peace. What's happening? How's it going? Good. Good, man. Sorry, I was running a little late. Oh no worries, no worries. We get we get there when we get there, you know. We're, no uh, problem. We'll, we'll cross those bridges <laughs> for <laughs> for certain. For certain. So what's going on today? Uh, not much. I actually just uh, got back from. I, I was doing a little Christmas shopping and ended up picking up some stuff for myself as well. So. Beautiful. But traffic's traffic crazy, so that's what uh, how my day's going so far. It's that it's that time of year, that's for sure. Absolutely. Well, you ready to do this thing? Let's make it happen. Hopefully, I'm gonna all right. Visuals. <laughs> <laughs> well, every everyone everyone, you'll be interesting because everyone's story is interesting. Uh, so yeah, we're. I mean, you know, we're we're. Uh, uh, we're not sure where this is going to go. It is, you know, we are rambling from the kitchen, so we might change directions uh, in many different times. Who knows? We'll, or maybe we'll just pick a path and stick to it, and you know, we'll figure out where where it goes once we start down it. But um, so, Renee, I, just I'll I'll uh, let me give a little brief intro. I'll do I'll do another intro after we record, but. Uh, today we're going to be talking with uh, Rene Negron, uh, executive chef at Cliff's Dining Pub in in Sandy, and um, I guess we'll start we'll start there, uh, and then we'll kind of back up after that. But how how did you come to to be the executive chef Cliff's Dining? Um, well, so I, I moved back to Utah from Las Vegas where I was working. And the well, the Cliff Dining Club now was owned by another another couple, another family that owned it, and it was the Cliff House Gastro Pub. So I used to work for them back in the day, and I had some regulars that sat in front of me all the time at the sushi bar. And at the point at that time, I was just the head sushi chef. And you know, fast forward. Uh, four years later, I ended up leaving the Cliff House and uh, moving out of state to a couple of different places. And um, the regulars that I had at the, at the time ended up purchasing the Cliff House. And they started talking to me. And it was just like the dream team of people that I wanted to work with. And they asked me to come back and to work for, for them. And so... Um, I ended up coming back and working for the, for the Cliff Dining Club now. We kind of kept the same name, so that way, you know, some brand familiarity. But um, 
yeah, so because of their regulars of mine, uh, you know, they used to say in front of me probably like three, four times a week, and I developed a really good relationship with them, and they knew what I could do and what uh, what uh, talents I could bring to them. So that's how I kind of, in a roundabout way, ended up being there. Um, later down the road, there were some uh, hiccups with the executive chef that opened the restaurant, and I ended up just kind of taking over the kitchen um, and doing the CC at, at the same time. Um, so yeah, that's how I ended up, ended up there. No, no crazy story or anything, but, uh, it was a smooth transition over, you know. But that's kind of a crazy story. The fact that, uh, you had some regular people that knew what you, what your talents were as a sushi chef that, that dined with you several times a week and then, and then they ended up purchasing the restaurant. You don't hear that every day. So that, no, that, that's, that's pretty interesting. Absolutely. So and speaking of... Oh, sorry. Yeah. The funny thing was that, no. you know, it was like maybe two, three years before that, um, we were kind of looking, they, so they owned a dental practice and they had an extra vacant spot in this really beautiful business uh, that they have. Uh, their office is gorgeous. And then on the spot uh, next to it, it was vacant. So we were thinking of doing uh, kind of a fine dining restaurant there. And, um, but things didn't work out at the time, and so it was just kind of funny to see that three years later on down the road, we ended up crossing paths again, and and then now we're where we're, we wanted to be, when, uh, you know, three four years before that. So, yeah. Right, right. I think they call that serendipity. I could, Correct. I could, yes, be, misusing, I could <laughs> be misusing the term, but a very serendipitous uh, occasion that the restaurant came back about. Absolutely. I don't just use that word often, so I'll take it when I can. Yeah, no, I don't think it's a part of most people's regular everyday vocabulary. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, so I want to. I want to ask you. I didn't. I never knew where you were from. I've, I've. We've known each other for a little, probably about a year. Um, yeah. I. You grew up in in Utah. Most of my life, yes. Um, originally, my family's from Puerto Rico, and so. Um, I spent maybe three, four years there again in Puerto Rico. And my dad was in the Air Force, so we kind of, as a family, we moved around. And we, uh, but I was born in Colorado, and then we ended up coming out to Utah and staying here most of my life. Um, I did move around. I did live in Vegas and Texas. Uh, when I was, uh, I was recruited to work for a company, and so I ended up moving around and, and working for them for different spots. Sure, so. sure. But when when did when and and grow? I'm not from here. I think we've discussed that, and I, I've stated it yeah. several times on the podcast. But what was what was your experience like growing up? I, I don't, I'm, I'm guessing. Uh, I think we've discussed this. I think you're maybe like ten or twelve years younger than me. You're not quite thirty, or you're barely thirty. Give me barely a, thirty. Barely yeah. thirty. So so you're about fifteen 30. years I'm younger 30. than me. Yeah. Sure. So, so what was it like? What was your experience like? Because I have I have other people. I have family that live here, and my wife. Uh, I think I've told you my wife is from here. So I always like yeah. to find out what people's experience was like growing up here in in Utah. Growing up in Utah, um, you know, at a young age, growing up in Utah, um, you know, you don't really see the differences as much. I mean. Compared to Puerto Rico, of course, there's, I mean, it's a lot looser over there, I guess you would say. Uh, 
Right. Uh, food's a big, a big thing over there. Family's a big thing. Um, taking your time and really relaxing and enjoying kind of life as it is and, and taking that time to actually recognize what's going on and enjoying that. Um, moving here to Utah, it was damn cold. That's for sure. Um, you know, it was, you know, going from somewhere that, you know, everybody kind of looks like you and talks like you and, 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 and having those experiences and then coming here where things um, are just a little bit more held back, I guess you would say. Um, but that's not necessarily a bad thing by any means because it actually taught me a lot and it taught me how to kind of be more of a uh, – also to slow down as well. You know, and I know that sounds kind of weird saying, you know, hey, well, Puerto Rico, you know, you enjoy your life too, but it's always very fast-paced as well. Um, but here, you know, you kind of slow down and really appreciate – uh, what it, what it is, and um, but yeah, growing up here was interesting. Uh, learning how to kind of be, uh, you know, I, I don't know how to explain it. It's just a little different culture, I guess. You know, it's a culture shock, I guess, as, as you would say. And so, yeah, yeah. however yeah. you want. <laughs> you can. Hey, by the way, you can swear and do anything you want. This is this is our our time, oh. and, and I and I I own this fucking content, so cuss away if you like. Oh, but thank I, you. Yeah, I mean, talk's fucking boring. <laughs> <laughs> I get off work and I'm hungry, and all there is to eat is fast food restaurants and and some half-assed diners. Um, you know, whereas you know, I would use Texas or Vegas as an example, and, and, and you get off work and there's so much, so much to do. There's so much more food to do, you know, eat, and and the the culture is just totally different, you know, and I just wish you probably kind of loosen up. I do see it growing. I do see it kind of changing, especially culinary-wise. Sure. Um, I do see it growing, absolutely. So, yeah, uh, to say, I guess, you know, it was a culture shock because of how uptight kind of everybody is. But at the same time, there's a, an odd, strange beauty about it, too. Um, and it's a safe place to live. What can you say, you know? And, and you get all four seasons. That's for damn sure. So. Yeah. Yeah. I was uh... – you know, I, I would consider myself. Um, I'm definitely a transplant, and I, I grew up on the outside looking in for sure. And I and I knew kind of you know what what you see in the news or hear about you know LDS culture and all this kind of stuff. And then and then come you know I have I have some of my relatives that grew up here and they're full on LDS and great I love them to death. It just it's just different when you're not indoctrinated to the ways of the church. Being someone coming from the outside, you know, culture shock. I think maybe when you were younger or growing up here, you know, I have I have the experience of my wife and her family of, you know, her telling me that about excommunicating herself from the church and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I, I totally totally get the culture shock aspect of it. Although as an adult, I think it's easier to adapt because you have more freedom of choice to, you know, but I, I see, I've seen just in the five years that I've been here, uh, almost six years that I've been here now, but um, just even in that short amount of time, a lot of progress and change and, and things right. happening and, and the diverse, there's, a, I mean, if you can dig around enough, there's a pretty diverse culture and communities here, which is kind of cool, but I, I wish they would, would open up their, uh, let go of the reins, so to speak, on certain things. Absolutely, so, but, yes, yes. 
Yes, absolutely. I agree with you. And there's there's like a two part situation with with the culture shock in Utah. If you're not grow, if you're not, if you don't grow up here, or like you said, indoctrinated in here, and and, and you're just part of it, and you grow up this way. Um, if you come here, it's a it's a big difference, especially, and it also depends where you're coming from as well, because there's some surrounding states around us that are probably just as equally as boring, or I hate to say the word boring, but so uptight, I guess. Um, yeah. So when you come in, there's that culture shock. And then, uh, like, what happened to me was that when I left, because uh, I ended up living here for a long period of time and didn't know any mm-hmm. different. We're a bubble, you know? We're a little bubble of smog and inversion, which, by the way, is killing me. It's like, uh, my lungs are, are dying. And yeah. uh, so those are the real moments that you're, you appreciate being in the kitchen is that, you know, it, you get that filtered air at least and you're inside and not dying in the smog. So that's that's one benefit, I guess, you can, you can add to that. But yeah. when you leave... When you leave Utah and you go to a different state that's, uh, you know, way more lax, um, for me, it was Texas. When I got there, it was like people looked at me kind of like this weird, strange person, like, oh, you're from Utah. And then yeah. there goes the line of questions, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, no, I'm not. And they're like, oh, not everybody. You're like, no, definitely not, you know. Uh, so yeah. you, you get that part. And then, you know, I, I would – you know, even going out to dinner, um, you know, the waitress would come and, and say, uh, you know, what, you know, what kind, of, what kind of beverage can I start you off with? A shot tonight, or, or you know, they're offering cocktails right off the bat, and you're like, wait a minute, like I can, I can drink here at, you know, at twelve o'clock in the afternoon or one, and, and nobody's even gonna bat an eye, you know. So and I don't even, and I don't even have to order, I don't even have to order anything to eat. Yes, exactly. So yes, exactly. Or. Or your coworkers are drinking with you, and, and, and you don't feel like somebody's going to, like, kind of paddle on you in, in a weird way. But, yeah, so there's that reverse yeah. culture shock that kind of happens, and it's, it's odd for sure. So, but, I mean, yeah. that's characters. <laughs> and I would I would agree with you. The um, the the half-ass, what do you say, half-ass diners and fast food joints, the place yes. you're like, when I was working in the kitchen here, I mean, I would get off work and I'd be like, oh, man, like it's, you know, do I want to drive to, like out of my way to get in and out or do I want to just stop at McDonald's or right. do I just want to like rifle, you know, just make it to a 7-Eleven and get like a bag of M&M's or something. Yeah. <laughs> it really but, but it's, how big of a piece of shit you want to feel like at the end of the night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, and then. And then I, my wife, we all, we, my wife and I joke about this, about the, and other people, not just my wife and I, but a lot, you know, a lot of times her and I just have a conversation and it's like, uh, chain restaurants, like everything yeah. that it's like, it's like the chain capital of the, of, of the, you know, country by far, it seems like, but, oh, absolutely. you know, per, per capita, I think we probably have, there's probably more chain restaurants here in Utah than any other spot in the Absolutely, and it's a culture thing too. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, it's like how many, it, it's like how many kids can I feed as fast as possible at, at less expenses? You know, and and, and, yeah. and I think that's where the chain kind of comes involved. And there's a dining culture that's here in Utah that's very different than any other place. Like, you know, you go to states and you can sit down and you you sit at the bar and have a couple cocktails before you know there's a 20 minute wait, an hour wait, no problem. We'll be at the bar, we'll have a couple of drinks, and then we'll go eat. But it's, not, yep. it's very different here, you know, when it comes yeah. to that kind of stuff. Yeah. 
So I'll, I'll uh, change gears a little bit. Were you always interested in cooking, or was it something that came about? I mean, how, how did you how did you get started working working in restaurants? I always I always think that's a interesting journey how people get to where they yeah are. absolutely um so i would say that my you know like a lot of chefs they're, they're parents somebody with parents cook a lot um and like i said in puerto rico we constantly we're just always eating there's always food and everything gatherings are always based around food as well and so i saw yeah. my mom cooking all the time and my mom was always uh cooking something you know my we would always prefer to eat in and go out at times and 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 my mom was always good at doing that. And so, um, you know, it's kind of a nostalgia thing, I think, that started off with, you know, coming home and certain smells and certain things make you feel a certain way. And, and so you, you tend to kind of gravitate towards those things to make you feel that way again. It's like, you know, chasing that dragon. And so, um, you know, my mom was always cooking and I always saw what she did. And, and I always saw her do some like weird things with like, you know, how she peeled potatoes or, like, she used to use a knife to peel potatoes. And I always thought, like, why, why don't you just use a peeler? But that was just the way she was, she was raised. Like, her grandma did yeah. it way, her mom did it that way. And, you know, like, a peeler, who cares about a peeler? I've got this knife, and she's doing it in her hand. And I'm like, you know, like, I just thought that stuff was kind of interesting. But I remember one day, my mom, I came home, and I was like, Mom, I'm bored. I don't know what to do. She said, well, go do homework or go clean your room, you know? And I said, so if you don't want to be bored, go get a job. And at that time, I was 14. And I was like, all right, well, it's fine. I will. So I ended up going down the street to this place that was like, a, um, if you're from Utah, you might remember these, these uh, Central Park. Do you remember those those chain restaurants? They were like a little shack that sold burgers and fries. Dude. And, yeah. Okay. Stop. I got it. I got it. <laughs> totally, uh, totally odd. Totally odd. So yeah. you you know you know what I do for a living. Yes, now, sir, I do. Uh, I was up in Park City calling on a on a restaurant, um, and I went to the I I was like looking for the owner of the restaurant, and and I got to I did, he just happened to be there that day. Like I got lucky and I and I talked to him, and the guy that was at the, that owned this new restaurant in Park City. I was like, oh, I used to own, I used to buy from, buy from you guys, and I, I really loved your burgers, and I, and I own these, this little group of restaurants called Central Park. No shit. I shit you not. I well, shit you not. I yeah. Serendipity. I mean, like, there, there you go. Twice <laughs> in one, twice in one, in a twenty-minute time span. How about that? It's, it's more than I've ever done in probably the last five years. So I'm, I'm rolling yeah. here. I'm loving it. <laughs> so, so. So Central Park, you got a job at Central Park. Go. No, no, so, so, so sorry. So, yeah, so they were old, so they were Central Parks back in the day, but then they all started kind of going out of business or they left or whatever, and they closed down. And and so this was a place that made silly steak sandwiches that ended up going into an old Central Park. And so trying to paint the picture of this, like, grease, you know, kind of burger joint place, you know, and they did silly steak sandwiches. So I went in there. And I just asked for a job, and he was like, yeah, can you can you add? And I was like, you know, kind of a smart-ass remark, gave him back, and, and of course I did, you know, and he gave me a job, and, and so uh, you're going to be a registry boy. And that's what he called me, registry boy, for like weeks until one day I would just watch and watch the cooks do what they were doing, and one day 
there was a no call no show. Uh, the coach didn't come in, and so I was there opening up the, the place, and I ended up just jumping back in the kitchen and started slicing beef, and you know turning on the grill and getting ready for it. And then the owner comes in, he's like, "What are you doing?" And I said, "Well, you know, it's we're about to open and nobody's here." And, and he sees me using the slicer. And first off, like. You're not supposed to use a slicer. You're underage, yada, yada. Like, now that I said that, I appreciate it. Let's just do it. And, like, me and Ham just worked through pretty much just worked that entire day and just made it happen. And so from there, it was just, like, that moment of, like, I made something happen. And somebody was super proud of me. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I was hooked. I was hooked automatically about cooking because it was just, like, this high-paced environment. And from then on, I was I just only worked at restaurants for a long time and um but I did transition and I thought I didn't want to work in restaurants but I ended up coming back so yeah that's how I started I worked at a Philly steak place and then after that I worked at like some diners um you know Coca-Cola inspired vintage diner and um with a dishwasher and they ended up moving me forward and, and doing pizzas and stuff and so yeah so and then from there I just I picked up some internships um, doing sushi and fell in love and here I am 10 years later 12 years later you know still doing it still going at it so that that takes that's an interesting twist because so you said internship and that would lead me to believe that there was some some schooling involved or did you just did yeah. you go to culinary school or how how how'd that how'd that work no I didn't go to culinary school because at that point, I yeah, took an internship with sushi to learn. So I lied. Here's the thing. So I went, so I went to my first interview to get an internship, and this was back, back in the day. So let me let me give you a little backstory. So I, I I was cooking for a long time, and then I ended up going to work with my brother and uh, selling. Well, I was going to work with him as far as selling insurance, but I ended up being like a client concierge helping his clients because he owns an insurance firm. So I thought this is what I was going to do. I was like, man, I'm going to get my insurance license. I'm going to sell all this money. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to make all this money and, and sell, and, and, and I'm going to follow my brother's footsteps. He was a big influence in my life, um, and so I wanted to be like him. And I, he was a, a big role model for me. And one day, um, he called me in the office, and he goes, and my brother had always, you know, a little bit of history for us as far as him and I. He... Uh, he would break me down mentally and like make me really think about stuff in in a deep sense. And, 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 you know, like some parents would, you know, whack you over the head with the bell or whatever, you know, they, they would really like that physical, like respect kind of demand type of thing, like spanking your child. Um, I got that too when I was younger, but my brother, when I grew up, um, he, he really made me like kind of think about stuff. And he kind of break you down mentally where you just feel like a big piece of shit. But at the end of the conversation, you left thanking him. So it was like this weird mind fuck that just, you know, that my brother would do to me. And, and so at the end of every time, I was like, damn, like I was inspired. Like he, I was like a soldier just running out the door and then walking into the office. And they're like, all right, what, what the hell am I doing again? Like, you know, like lost it quickly, you know, or whatever. And But there were certain things that stuck with me. And then one day I was in the office with him where he called me and he goes, he goes, hey, how you doing today? I said, I'm doing good, you know. He goes, I'm like, what can I do for you? You know, what's up? And he's like, what the fuck are you going to do with your life? And uh, I'm just like, I was like super confused. And I was like, oh, great. Another one of these sessions, you know. 
And uh-huh. like, seriously, like, what do you want to do? What, what are you going to do? You're not happy doing this. I can tell you're not happy. This is not what you want to do. You know, like, don't bullshit me, and I won't bullshit you type of thing. And, and you know, he's like, just let's not use each other here. Like, you're not happy, and I want you to be happy. And what are you going to do? So on and so on. And I I don't know. I was just like, I, you know, you know, at a young age, I, I think I was like 22 around that time. I was just like, you know, dude, you know pissed off at him, you know, just yelling and being like, you know, why you got to talk to me that way, yada, yada. But, you know, I went, I got off work that day and I went home and I just thought about it and thought about it. And I was just browsing on KSL at some, uh, some classified ads and there was an ad for an internship for Tsunami, uh, to work and, and learn how to work, uh, sushi. And so I said, all right, cool. Well, sushi fuck it let's try it and so i went in there and uh at the time uh the, the, the head chef of the sushi bar was david hops and he uh i came in with a suit because i was used to that you know like going to interviews with suits and going to like uh you know meeting for clients with suits and stuff like that and of course i go into this interview with suits and in the normal world that's great thumbs up but in the culinary industry people kind of look at you very weird when you do that and so we sit down, I'm like, yeah, I'm here to, you know, interview for this position. He goes, okay, are you in culinary school? I was like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes, I'm like, I just barely started. And he goes, how's your nice skills? I'm like, great. You know, like, I'm really working on them. I can do this or that. And I remember sitting in the car right before that interview and looking on YouTube, like, you know, like, slang, like, uh, words that the kitchen use, like, slang words, you know, or whatever. And, terms, you know, like, uh, in the weeds or whatever, or honing yeah. skill and, like, learning how to sharpen a knife, like, in 10 minutes by Gordon Ramsay. And uh, it's like, I'm going to say, you totally lie to him. He takes a chance on me, dude, and he's like, all right, I'm going to hire you. So um, I go in, and I start working at Tsunami and under his apprenticeship, and uh, I took a huge hit in pay. <laughs> Brutal, man. Like, I I went from making pretty good money at a young age to like making like nine bucks an hour or something like that as an internship. I was dying, yeah. <laughs> but there was there's certain moments that hit me that first day or within that first week that that reignited that passion that I used to have and right. it made me stick to it from that day on. Um, but yeah, so that's that's where I yeah. So I went through some schooling and internships with him. Um, he moved on to bigger and better things. Uh, he ended up moving uh, to California and working at Saison, which is a Michelin star restaurant. And he's, you know, he's worked with VSN and uh, just learned from some great, amazing chefs. And I was lucky to learn from him and then from some other people as well that influenced me a big time and, and kind of, like I said, ignited that spark back into me. So. That is awesome. That is awesome. I want to I want to go back to a little bit of the conversation between you and your brother, and I have yeah. a couple of questions. So how okay. how obviously your brother is older than you. Yeah. How many he, years older? Oh shit! I hope he doesn't hear this. I want to say I want to say ten. We want him to hear. We want him to hear. Yeah, ten, <laughs> ten or I think it's ten or twelve years older. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he just barely he just barely turned forty, so yes, ten years older than me. Yeah, sorry. Okay. 
<laughs> it's okay. You don't have to be. You didn't yeah. say anything wrong. You just told you told yeah. the truth. Yeah. So, so this is one totally. I mean, like our stories. They're they're all. I mean, it's. I still I say this every time I interview a chef. It's like the stories that we have, like amongst yeah. the group. Like I, I'm starting to build a bigger repertoire of people that I've spoken to. And we yeah. all have so many different things within our stories. You're going to trip out. So I, my brother, um, I have an older brother. Are you the, how, mm-hmm. how many brothers and sisters do you have? Or how so many I, siblings? Uh, I'm the youngest and I have a sister. So yeah, my brother, my sister, and then I. <laughs> I'm the baby. Yeah, ten, I, I'm the baby. I'm the baby of the, I'm the baby of the family. My sister is eight years older than me. My brother mm-hmm. is ten and a half years older than me. Love it, dude. Love it. Isn't that, exactly. that, it, it's just it's just like a trip. But like like uh, he was almost and and when like my last two years of high school, I lived with him. I didn't live with yeah. I didn't live yeah. with any of my parents. And so he I was more of he was right in high school. Same way. Yeah, I mean he yeah. he was it was different because he was like partying and then trying to tell me not to not to party or or do stuff. Um, yeah. But <laughs> at the same time, there was there was the fatherly figure aspect to to the relationship where it wasn't just sibling. Yeah. You know, as we've gotten older, it's become more more just sibling sibling relationship. But but they're definitely being younger. Um, there was that kind of fatherly fatherly aspect to the yeah. to the relationship, which is you don't encounter that all the time um, no so so that is a trip so you and then and then I was just talking to a chef last week uh and she talked about how she lied her way into getting a job and then and then lied her way to getting better jobs and all. <laughs> Yeah. It just reminded, that reminded me. That reminded me of how you how you got started because because she this gal was uh, um, she ended up working for some for some pretty high profile chefs, but uh, she was talking about how she got into their kitchen originally, and her I think her friend went to interview, and then they she was like waiting, and they're like, "Oh, are you here to interview for this position?" And she was like, uh, "Yep." <laughs> yeah, no intention it. of had, had no intention of doing it, and then they ended up hiring her, I think, instead of her friend, if I recall the story correctly. Um, yeah. So, so you this so about 22, you took a, an internship as a sushi chef, and then how have you parlayed that into? So when I think one of the first things we talked about, and you when you were working in Vegas. Uh, and I think I've read it in print somewhere. You worked, you worked at Nobu, is that correct? No, so. No. Where did that, where did that go wrong? Kona Grill. Kona Grill is who I worked for over there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I, I got recruited, so I, I, I was recruited to work for Kona Grill, so I had a buddy on Instagram, and so, okay, so when I left Cliff House, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. Like, Utah at that time was just drowning, and, and, and it was just, like, as far as culinary, it wasn't growing much. Um, it wasn't, I don't know, it wasn't good. And so I didn't know what to do, so 
I commented on a friend of mine on uh, Instagram, an Instagram friend. I don't, like, I haven't really met him in person, but um, mm-hmm. you know, he said, oh, that looks like a cool dish. And, and, and he responded back, like, saying, hey, you know, just trying to have a conversation. And then one day I get a call from a recruiter that's from Cone Grill because they just went public and started expanding. And mm-hmm. they said, okay, um, are you interested in moving out or just uh, to join joining the Cone Grill team? I'm like, all right, cool. Well, why not? Let's try it out. You know, like I have nothing else to lose. And maybe a couple weeks before that, I was talking to my, my, my fiance at the time, and I was just like, you know what? Like Utah's not great. It's not doing too well. What should we do? And he's like, well, why don't we move and try someone new? So I'm like, all right, cool. You know, and that was been the conversation, but we never really thought of anything. So I had an interview with a recruiter from then, and he goes, all right, would you move to Plano, Texas? And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, yeah, this, that sounds cool. Not knowing where or what the hell Plano, Texas is, which ended up being a really great place. But, um, so he uh, he gives me the chance to tell me, okay, well, this is what's going to happen. You have to move within the next month, and yada yada. He gives me all these lines. It's like go home, and I tell my I tell my girlfriend. I said, okay, uh, so you want to move to Plano? And she's like, yeah, whatever. You know, I'm like, no, seriously. You know, like they're they're asking me to move. I've already done the first and second interview. We would have to move within the next like uh, I think it was four weeks, like in, within a month. Um, and I have to leave two weeks before that to go train and, and to Arizona and go and train through their, through their program. And so she's like, okay, let's do it. And so we sold everything. I ended up going to Arizona training, coming home, packing all our stuff to everything that we could fit into like a, uh, I had a Nissan Rogue at the time. Everything that we could fit in there ended up leaving with us. And within a week we were gone and we just left to Texas and left everybody in the dust. And, I worked for them, and the first year that we opened, um, so we didn't have a place. We didn't know any. We didn't know anything about Plano, Texas, which is, uh, if you don't know, it's about 20 minutes out of Dallas. And so, um, yeah. So then we get there. I think, I think what I know about people. what I know about Plano, what I know about Plano, is yeah. Friday Night Lights. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Which yeah. back in the day, Plano used to be like a super messed out town like, super bad and drugs and, like, crying everywhere. Now, like, it, it's home to, like, super millionaires and, like, doctors and lawyers and athletes and stuff. And it, it's, uh, like, polo clubs everywhere. And it, it's crazy. It's, it's, like, it became this super fancy place that used to be a big scum, scum town, I guess. That's what their history is. Wow. But, yes, Friday Night Lights, absolutely. So... So we get there and we have to open this restaurant and I don't know like the process of this and it's in, within two days and I have to find an apartment, I have to unpack and we we barely make it happen and literally uh you know, that morning when we opened was I was there for probably like two days and left my girlfriend at the at the apartment and she just had to kinda like learn and find out how Texas is, like, you know, like, gain senses, and here I am, like, gone for, like, a week because I have to just slave away at opening this restaurant and make it happen. And so I, that was oh, a moment yeah. in my life where I was just like, holy shit, like, this is some real, this is real, you know, like, yeah, it's, I, it's not just me. I brought somebody with me now. It's like, it's a, it's a big, it's a big step. So, yeah, we opened that restaurant. Uh, we did, we ended up doing, like, $10 million the first year. 
with no advertising, no marketing or anything. This restaurant was crazy busy. Um, but yeah, so then I ended up kind of just traveling around and opening restaurants for them. Oh wow, that is yeah. that is insane. That is insane. How I mean, what a story. And that takes a lot of courage too to to just I mean to pick up you know where you've been living and then just boom go to go to somewhere completely unknown and yeah and foreign it's like yeah man I've uh semi familiar with that <laughs> yeah and it goes back to that reverse culture shock we go to Texas and we're like these little Mormon kids you know like don't know what the hell we're getting ourselves into you know. It's a whole other lifestyle out there. When you're in Texas, you definitely know you're in Texas. They make it known. Right, right. I, uh, I, uh, man, that's that's how that's how it was uh, for me coming here to to Utah. Um, oh yeah, I bet. So where, uh, so how, where, where did I get confused along the line with the with the other restaurant? Because yeah. So I worked for Katie. Tell, tell me how. I didn't actually oh, work okay. in the restaurant for them, but it was more uh, catering events. So I did some parties for at like the Hard Rock Cafe for, you know, like release parties, stuff like that. So I did a bunch of caterings for them. And so I happened to work with some people that worked with them. And so it was kind of like being privately contracted through them. So sure. I think, okay. yeah, there was some, there was, I know there was some, um, some people that like did some reviews on us on Instagram and sent some pictures on she when I was talking to her about everything, I think she might have misunderstood what I was saying and said she posted it and I was like, damn, do I say something and make her feel bad or do I just let it be? Or you know, how do I break it to her if she posted something that's incorrect? But like yeah, so it's just been yeah. It's been an interesting Yeah, no harm, no foul. No harm, no foul. <laughs> yeah. No one no one's gonna no one's gonna uh be the wiser and no one's going to come after you for it. I don't think anyone <laughs> was done. I don't yeah, think so I mean, but I've, I've worked with, I mean, I've worked with, you know, them as far as, you know, doing private catering events for, you know, like in their big suites and stuff like that. But not hand-in-hand hand with him personally or anything of that sort. Sure. And then how long, how long were you in, um, in Texas? So I was in Texas for about a year and a half. Um, so I was there for, yeah, for about a year and a half, and then I ended up um, asking for a transfer to the Vegas Strip because they were opening a location um, out in Vegas. And so I was like, you know, I'd like to get home or get closer to home. Um, I was starting to get homesick, you know. And so mm-hmm. I was like, all right, well, cool. I'll, I'll try to transfer over there. And they, they ended up uh, saying yes, and so – same type of thing. We just ended up packing all our stuff and moving to Vegas, and I opened that location on the Strip. Um, yeah, so I did that, and then opened uh, a few other locations for them as well. Yeah, and after I did you? Ah, uh, oh, God. Yeah, yeah. I re- I re- I remember that life on the road. There would be there would be times I w- I was uh, corporate chef for a, for a brief period. Um, for an Irish pub company, and it was some guys that I had actually opened up in a pub in Long Beach, and then I became partners with them. And 
they, the idea was to have me move from location to location, like just continuing to go and open up places. And I, I was in Squaw Valley for like, um, I was in Squaw Valley, like Lake Tahoe area for like a, probably like seven or eight months. And, and I was like, okay, so what's the plan after this? And they're like, oh, I think we think you're going to go to, it was either like Lake Las Vegas or Arizona. And I'm like, yeah, yeah yep, nope, not doing it, not doing it. <laughs> they're like, what? And I'm like, I, you mean don't come home? And they're like, you yeah. know, your home's going to be like on the road. I mean, and, and, and don't get, the guys, I am still very good friends with these guys today. But at that point, I was like, oh, this fucking blows. I'm out of here, man. Like, yeah. And I, yeah. you know, I just, but, but then I went back to a few years later, they had, they had grown the company to a number of restaurants that was too big of an operation for four people to handle. And they're like, dude, we could really use someone like you. So, I traveled around from like station to station, at least, you know, I could do like six to eight weeks at a time or, you know, depending on, on what was happening with the opening of a place or whatever. But yeah, living, living out of a, out of a suitcase in uh, hotels was, was a tough life, man. That's a, that's a tough life. Oh yeah. It's brutal. The, the, and the is fun. Yeah. It's cool to go and travel and sleep in hotels and, and get per diems and all that fun stuff. And then, after a while, it just loses its luster and, and dealing with security. Right. And look, I am I I'm Puerto Rican, but I look you know Muslim because I'm a beard and I have the look. And so that's never fun to go to the airport for me ever ever. Even and to I this day, fucked. dude. To this day, I I randomly get checked every time, every time. <laughs> not, not to get off the medical. It just sucks, dude. It just it's just you know, and it doesn't help. The beard doesn't help and. My crazy ass eyes don't help, and so yeah, I get stopped every time. So that was good. So are you are are you saying then that it's not random? <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> to put to put, uh, is someone clicking in the background right now? <laughs> I think we have we have there's there's four there's four people. Four no, actually now there's five people that actually listen to this podcast. And one Love of them it. happens. One of them happens to be a high-ranking official with the TSA. So we'll um, <laughs> well, we'll hear it. Tell him to. Uh, yeah, he can. What do you? You have a message. You have a message. You can tell him directly. You can tell him directly. Stop checking me randomly, please. <laughs> it's getting tired. He's saying. He's saying it's not hours. random. Yeah. No. 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 I didn't say that. I didn't. I, 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 I said it's not. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the worst. I have to give like an extra time, like an extra hour or two, every time I go to the airport without fail. Oh, it's funny in a in a sad way, and I and yeah. I that that sucks, man. Like it, yeah, it's, it's you know, funny maybe that it's sad. Fishing. <laughs> you know, stop acting all fidgety and lying and stuff and shaky around them, and they'll probably stop too. That'd probably help. You know what I, I found works well for them to just let you through? Yeah. Just be like the end of like a three-day bender. Oh, yeah. And oh, like yeah. half half in the bag and, and like just <laughs> trudging, trudging through like your life is over as you head yeah. back to reality. That, that usually, yeah. that happened to me 
I, you can't get in trouble for shit that happened several years ago, right? No, no, there's a statute of limitations, I think, with certain okay. things. So we're good, we're good. So, okay, <laughs> so I'm going to share this. I'll share this story with you. Perfect. I, uh, I, I, uh, friend's bachelor party, it was, I believe, 2002. It was right, I, I mean, like, like 9-11 had happened, and so I, I'm, I'm fuzzy on the time after which it had happened. But security in, in, at this point in, in, right, I mean, it was within, I want to say, eight months. Okay. An eight-month time span from September to whatever, like July or whatever. My friend got married, like, in the summertime. So we had his bachelor party, like, in March or, or something in Vegas. And okay. and I was, like, I was, like, the low guy. Not the, I don't know. This is going to sound stupid. But anyway, <laughs> I was, like, the low guy on the totem pole. So, so like, I wasn't as – I wasn't, like, the guy that had I, – I, you know, kind of – ups and downs in life and so like they they were like hey come to the bachelor party boom and i'm like okay so i got the earliest flight to vegas on a friday and everyone like wasn't getting in till like five o'clock in the afternoon and i was in vegas at eight o'clock in the morning you know like from from and then and then like on on the flight out on sunday i also had the earliest flight out because why it's the cheapest flights like no one wants right. to get up that early to go or to leave absolutely but but i probably slept in the whole time from you know friday saturday to sunday morning i probably slept maybe like two hours or three hours like all to- total so um, we just like to we just like to get after it and that's what you do in vegas right when you don't live there like yeah you just, you just it's a weekend town, so you put all the time you can. Yeah, yeah. So I had some some of my friends who will remain nameless. Uh, we yeah, like yeah. to smoke the ganja. We we okay. a, a lot of us like to smoke the ganja. Yeah. And yeah, I remember at that time, uh, I, I don't remember this, but I had a backpack. All I had with me was a backpack. And I, I go through, I go through security and this is on the way home. So Sunday morning, it's early. I'm sure I reek of everything, just stanky old beer and like, you know, figs and casino and weed. I'm sure I smell everything. <laughs> I go, I go through and, and that, and at that time, I mean, like a seed was like one seed was a felony in, in Nevada. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. They had a strict law for that for the longest time. Oh yeah, I get home and um, I get home and like the a couple of days after I get home, I start I like go through my backpack and I'm like I pull out this pack of cigarettes that I'm like hmm, this is weird, and I shake it you know like as you do because it feels empty, and I hear this yeah. rattling in there. I hear this rattling in there, and I open it up, and it's a half-smoked, it's a fucking big, gigantic doobie. Like, that's fantastic. Oh, like, I, like, shit, to, like, not knowing that it was there, I, uh, who, yeah. the, you know, who the hell cares, but that I got, I found it, like, a couple of days later, and then thought to myself in a sober state of mind, was like, holy 
shit. I walked yeah. through, you know, freaking yeah. McCarran Airport with that thing and got on a plane <laughs> and, you know, like, just totally freaking, what in the hell, you know. But, yeah, yeah, you probably felt normal compared to everybody that was there, though. So, I mean, not, not to be alone, you know. Like any other person who just carries around a backpack. Right. I have a weird thing about right. people carrying backpacks. Like, yeah, it's a, like, I, I used to have a friend that would just stuff his backpacks full of things, just as if he was leaving for weeks. And he would, like, get to work and just unload his backpack every night and give me, like, this weird anxiety with him, like, having to, like, unload his backpack with all this crazy shit in it and then load it back up every night. And it was just like shoving it, but he had like a routine on how to fit this backpack perfectly for his travels just to get back and right. to home. But he drove. So I was like, I never understood why you needed, you drove a car and you need a backpack to carry all that stuff. Like it was just very odd to me. So ever since then, I had a weird thing about people with backpacks just traveling around <laughs> back and forth to work. <laughs> 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 I used to, oh, I mean, sometimes you just need to, you need to bail, it's man. It's some weird OCD shit. You know, the yeah. shit that happens, you know, like, like when I see puddles at work, when I see puddles on the floor, like, I, it, 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 it gives me like the, the heebie-jeebies to see puddles on the floor. I don't like it. Because I was just hearing, I was actually listening to one of your podcasts the other day, and I want to say it was, Joseph, uh, Justin Solberg. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. The floor's not a trash can. Yes. So he was, he was <laughs> actually talking about this crazy ass chef he used to work with. They wouldn't let him walk on the floor with the shoes on or whatever. Yeah. yeah. After and that, they, that after one, they and just and like, Yeah. And he's like, this guy is fucking crazy. He's living, you know. And I'm like, oh shit, that's me. They like, I hate puddles on the floor. I love a clean floor. There's nothing better than when you like mop up the floor. And you walk, you're mopping backwards, and you're at the exit, and you look back, and it's just shiny, and it looks just beautiful. That's me. So, yeah, I'm that crazy guy, I guess. So, <laughs> when he said it, I was like, that's perfect. That's, that, that explains me to the there. Hey, we all, we all have our quirks. I, I love, I love yeah. that, that he was going through, and he's like, the floor is not a trash can. And then he, yeah, I totally remember it's that. True, it's true. It's true. Like, yeah. Yeah, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. Just swipe it into the garbage can. And a lot of sushi chefs have that, that tendency of just swiping backwards and just, like, whatever on that cutting board just ends up on the floor, just crumbs and rice everywhere. And that's, like, my biggest pet peeve. I can't do it. Just, just swipe it into the garbage can. It's all good. So we saying. Yeah, you got to you gotta do I, – I used to get on my – the last place I was at before I, I, I got out of the kitchen – um, I would tell my guys that all the time. I mean, it, I, I just, one, it's like, for me, it was like, God, you work in this cramped area. You have like eight trash cans in a spot where you probably only need like two. And yeah. it's dangerous. Like you're going to slip and hit your head on one of those heavy pieces of freaking stainless steel equipment because you're yeah. too lazy to put something in the garbage, you know? Yeah. yeah and you know, that's, and- that's the, you got, Go you got an open kitchen, too, where people can see your floor. You know, guests don't understand, like, in kitchens. Like, yes, they'll be clean at the end of the night. They'll be perfect. But while you're working, there's, there's shit that happens. Like, crumbs end up on the floor. Things do fall. And they see the floor, and you're just like, look at this dirty-ass kitchen. You're like, well, you know, we're, we're working here. We're pumping out 400 plates tonight. You know, like, yeah. 
yeah, shit's gonna happen. Please don't judge me at this moment. Yeah, I, I think I think the more so though that people get educated on what happens in restaurants, they're like, there's a difference between some stuff falling on the floor as opposed to like dudes that just openly like wad stuff and like don't look at where they're throwing it and or just any kind of a mess instead of like grab it, you know, they're just like, and there it goes on yep. the floor and you're like, holy, yep. so the, the people I think are starting to, they're, they're a little bit more, I give them, maybe I'm giving them too much credit, but I, I think people are starting <laughs> to see, I think there's yeah. not, people are starting to get educated, like, Hey, we're human beings. Like, you know, uh, things are going to happen. Um, it, it's just one of those, there's all kinds of different, different scenarios. Speaking of Absolutely. speaking of which, speaking of which, um, I was uh, I was um, there was a, a recall uh, for ground beef oh, recently. Yes, yeah. I mean, and and, and there there's a, a nationwide supplier. You know, I mean, this was the news. Yeah. I'm not I'm not talking, yes, but yes. Gee, there's a, a nationwide supplier, JBS. They ended up recalling. It was like. Twelve and a half million pounds of beef. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's funny that I, I. So I was talking to, I was talking to uh, a friend of mine and and his his father-in-law, both of whom are in the industry, and I was, and and my wife, who was also in the industry for a long time. We were talking last night over dinner, and I said, I said, um, that sounds like a lot, right? And they're like, yeah, twelve yeah. and a half million pounds. I mean, that's that's a lot. Yeah. And I'm like. Okay, here's the staggering part. Less that twelve and a half million pounds is less than point zero one percent of beef that's consumed yeah. in the US on a yearly basis. And, Isn't that and crazy? you know, like yeah, like I was like I was on Twitter and I was um I was uh hold hold on one second. If I lose you I will call you back. Uh where where were we? Beef Twitter. Oh beef. So yeah, I was like on Twitter and on LinkedIn and like people are so freaked out and it and it's and it's really interesting because like people are like there were four or six incidents last year involving, you know, foodborne illness outbreaks of salmonella and whatever and this and that. And this year there have been seventeen. Yeah, the great and the great I'm just thinking of my sh- I'm like, I'm like, holy shit. Like people that don't work in food, you're like 17. How many people, how many millions of meals are prepared in our country on a daily basis? And there was only 17 recalls. Go to another country. They won't even recall it. Like, I'm like, I'm like, holy shit. They're probably eating eating the beef that we recalled at this point. Yeah. No kidding. I mean, like it. It's just so it's so bizarre, like the like the uh, the mentality of of what happens in this like uh, of non food people that are getting served by food people that they have no concept of actually what it goes what what we you know we as chefs and restaurateurs and people in the food industry do on a daily basis to make sure that they absolutely are trying to get the most safe food possible that you could ever get. Absolutely. So I got three things on that subject. One, uh, 
wasn't it like a weird month as far as recalls go? There was the romaine, there was beef, there was a certain local provider too that gave us a personal call that was like, they just called us randomly and just say, hey, like, you know, this is happening and we gotta, we gotta take everything that you have back. And, you know, it was like, the same like, like a two week period, there was a, a shitload of recalls, which, which honestly was more than I'm ever used to because like, that 17 is not a big, it's not a big number if you look at it, you know, in the big picture, but like, I felt like there was a ton within, like, I think Costco had one that was, like, on vegetables, like frozen vegetables and stuff. And, yeah, it was just bizarre to me. So that was odd. But the amount of beef that was, it, it's, it's, an amount, it's a crazy amount of beef, for one. All that was sacrificed for nothing. They didn't eat any. Yeah. The amount of that beef was eaten. All those animals gone for no reason. That And that's, like, a very uh sad way to look at it. But I'm a pessimist, so that's okay. That's what I got out of that topic. And then number two, I can't pull the trigger on Twitter. What's the deal with Twitter? I, I can't do it. I haven't done it yet. <laughs> I want to. I'm like looking at it from the outside in. I'm like, damn, you know, it looks fun, but I don't get it and I don't know it. And it's like, do I really want to keep up with another social media thing? So I'm I'm, I'm hoping maybe you can give me some direction as far as Twitter goes. Yeah, um, it's interesting. It de- it depends on who you who you can you can pick the people that you follow. You know, it's similar right. to Instagram, but but like a lot of the time, it's, it's there. There's a little bit more. I mean, kind of up to up to the minute stuff that's happening. Like you know, and, oh, okay. and for me, okay. like like I have a I have a few authors that I that I follow like. And then there's a few entrepreneurs that I follow, but a lot of it is, is, um, you know, I, I follow chefs and restaurants and different things yeah. and I try to just keep up with like what's going on in the industry. So, um, I, I think as far as like, like stuff that's currently happening, Twitter yeah. seems to be for good, you know, for, for better or for worse. I'm not, I'm not quite sure, but, uh, it seems to be where, where the most Current stuff is going on, and 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 that's why I I use it. Um, you know, it helps me to like when when I'm done with this, uh, when we're done talking tonight, I'll probably uh, go and hang out with my kids, and then when everyone goes to bed, I'll start doing some editing, and then I can I can get it out pretty quickly and easily to that yeah. platform. And you know, it, it's just a way to it. You know, I, I I don't know if you use LinkedIn at all, but like LinkedIn is like business and and um, yeah. you know it's business and like entrepreneurs and and then Twitter like has all different kinds of genres that but you can kind of you know you can you can uh, maneuver through and kind of just tailor it to what you want to see and yeah. that makes it kind of interesting. But so it's like you the know, breaking funny, news of social media. Yeah, but it, I mean, like it could be breaking like every two seconds, which Damn. could be good and bad. Like you know, yeah. so depending on who you follow, like like the authors that I that I follow, it's like they'll chime in a couple times a day, and like because I follow them on a regular basis, the algorithm will send you know send their posts kind of more into my feed and helps me helps me like there's some inspirational stuff that I get from them, and I'm like, okay, great. Um, you know, one of the big guys that I follow right now is Gary Vaynerchuk. Okay. He's like a, I mean, he's all over the place, multi-millionaire, probably a billionaire. I don't know. He's like invested in like Uber and Twitter and 
uh, he may have invested in Facebook okay. and all that, but like I, he's like, you know, he just he's he's taught just some of the stuff that I get from him. I'm like, oh sweet, I can do that, or I, I oh that's a great idea, and then like try it out later, and you never know. The other thing was funny that you bring up the the uh, recall and yeah. They they didn't recall the beast until like a month or two after. Ouch! Like everything that like everything that happened, like we when we had to go through for who I work for, we yeah. we do our own independent testing and and we knew that none of the none of the beasts came to our plant. But the fact that we used them as a supplier, we had to call customers and say, hey, it, it, and it was like a six-day period at the end of, at the end of October and the beginning of November. And so it's like, like we're calling them, you know, three weeks after the fact. And I'm like, uh, I, I'm guessing because you've ordered seven, like I had to call some customers and I'm like, okay, okay. I spoke to you over the weekend. Here's the deal. It didn't come through our plant. We know, you know, like, like I, it was like, here's, here's what happened. I said, but because we're, they're one of our suppliers, I have to call you. I know you've placed 17 orders since then. So there's no way that you're going to have the product. Yeah. Yeah. It's already gone. through. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. and, 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 and so the, the animals didn't die in vain, which is good. And no one, yeah, and yeah. I don't think there was okay. any reports of, I don't think there was any reports of illness for, uh, from, from it. I don't think there was yeah. any reports of illness from that. So, but then, but then there was the freaking romaine lettuce one. And I, my brother works in, in the produce industry. And he was like, like we were talking about the beef. And then like a day later was like the next day. I think he was like, dude, what in the hell? Like we were just talking about this yesterday. So. It's a trick. It's funny that you bring that up because when I was in high school, I took this class and like creative writing or whatever. And, uh, I made this the story about um, this guy that was born with like a rare DNA or blood type, and he ended up working at a meat factory or like a, a slaughterhouse or something, and he ends up accidentally cutting a piece of his finger off or like a whole finger, and it gets grinded into the meat somehow, and it gets sent out. And and people start eating it, and they they turn into cannibals, and like they they want it, they want the taste of like human again, so they turn into like like these crazy zombies. And my teacher gave me an F because she said it was creative enough. And I, <laughs> I thought it was the greatest story ever, as far as going and giving it to my teachers, and she didn't like it. So I know that's a little a little far out there, as far as uh, you know, you know, as far as what could happen, but. You know, that kind of reminds me of recalls. You know, who knows what the recall's for and when it's actually going to cycle through and when you're going to eat it. And so, like, you know, yeah. like you say, it's like three weeks later, four weeks later, like, that's already gone through. And, and you know, yep. that's just it's kind of a scary thing to think about. Yeah. That's a, that's a, you, you bring up your story. And I think, I think, I thought of two things. I thought of, uh, freaking Walking Dead. I mean, like, yes. you know. <laughs> And then I and then I thought of and then what I I thought of that um, I thought of the freaking it's the isn't it called Soylent Green or what's the what's there's a science fiction uh, story and I don't I, they may have made it into a movie or 
something, but it's it's like a very very famous science fiction story, and 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 they're making this dog food, Soylent Green, and and the one like super famous line is Soylent Green is people, and the guys. Oh, like, um, I may be wrong, but I want to say it's like street trash or something like that, or it's like venom juice or something like that. So like it's like a new drink, or I'm trying to remember what it's called. But yes, I know. Oh, yeah. this is it's gonna it's gonna kill me. But literally no, like think about um, three in the morning. You know? No. You'll, no, we're gonna you'll wake up from a dead sleep and then you're like, ah, it's such and such. You know, science mystery theater or whatever it is. <laughs> no, this uh, this No, like like this is like uh um like a famous American writer wrote this uh, wrote it. Oh, Soylent Green. Soylent Green was a was a freaking movie that came out in 1973. Um, it it had Charlton Heston. I mean, like, it, <laughs> I'm looking it up right now. <laughs> but it was like it was it had Charlton Heston. I mean, come on, man. Like the guy was a spokesperson for the NRA. I'm a non-hunter, by the way. Anybody listening? I don't use guns. So, oh. anyway, anyway, um, what's what's uh, what's, what's well, I have, next? I have yeah, one more. I have one more part on that that whole thing about education. To, oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. As far as you know, our, our customers and whatnot, general public. But um, I think I think we are. I think there is a. Um, you know, I think there there is a lot of education going on as far as you know, what's happening in the kitchen and what uh, restaurant industry does towards uh, and, and educating the our customers, I guess, or the public. But I don't feel like that's going the same way as far as what we are teaching our future cooks or future restaurant people, what the industry is really like. And I feel like um, a lot of these culinary schools and that kind of stuff aren't really teaching what the restaurant business is really like. And, and then it becomes a very harsh reality for them. Um, and the reason why I was thinking about this, too, is, again, the conversation we were having the other day uh, on your podcast was talking about, you know, the, the the pull of talent that we have now. We're in this weird role, like, as far as hiring uh, the younger cooks nowadays. They, they have a weird uh, perception of what this industry really is. And then when they're there, it's like, they they look like deers and headlights, like they don't know what to do. And and I don't feel like the culinary institutes are really uh, teaching them or giving making themselves aware of what's what's to come and how it's gonna be. And so and they got this yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean like I, I, I sometimes it's hard for me and I to not jump in because I wanna be like, Yeah but yeah. yeah, I think I think uh, a lot of a lot of I didn't go to culinary school, and I I came up through the ranks. I was I did I was a pizza delivery guy. I learned you know how to make pizzas while I was doing that, and then uh, was a dishwasher and a guy that just I like I like made jobs for myself so that I could pay my rent and pay my bills and and like you know like like I had I had a handful of guys come to me when I was working in Southern California for, 
from culinary school and, and out of that handful of people, like one guy, uh, there was two guys that were really talented. I'll yeah. rephrase that. Out of about yeah. like about eight to 10 or whatever, there was like one dude that was like the two guys that were really talented. But out of those two guys, the one guy like, and God bless him, the other guy, He's he's a freaking badass in his own right. He's like a fucking airport, air, uh, helicopter mechanic and like pilot and all this shit. So he's a total badass. But he would do the thing where he'd be like, he like had the culinary school mentality where he would like do his. He would work on a. He wanted to be a pastry chef and he would work on a special before he he fucking did his mise en place before he got like yeah. all the you know like like I had a couple of times where I ran out of fucking creme brulee in my restaurant on at like seven o'clock on a Friday or and I'm like dude I can't have that happen like <laughs> it has to be in the reverse like if we run out of your special dessert and yeah. you made ten of them awesome yeah. we'll make a new one tomorrow but if I run out of creme brulee we're yeah. fucked like that doesn't yeah. work like that like it. You know, but then this other guy, he's, he's gone on to, gone on to, he, he's a partner in a, in a restaurant in Texas. Uh, the restaurant's a national chain called Capital Grill, but, uh, yeah. it's a really yeah. high-end steakhouse and he, he's, he's freaking, freaking awesome. Both guys, both guys were friends out of, coming out of culinary school and, and two guys that I had as interns that I hired both of them and, and the other guy that, uh, taking a career to, um, he went to freaking, uh, Coast Guard and then he's, he's uh-huh. in Arizona now. But, the, but I mean, like both guys super talented out of, out of a group of however many people over the course of the years, maybe, maybe 10 that like actually belonged in kitchens and yeah. knew what it was about. And then the rest of them, the rest of the people just had, I, I mean, like, Sorry, culinary school students, but most of you have your head so far buried up your ass. Yeah. It's it's unbelievable what your delusions are coming out of that institution. It, but it's, it's hopefully, crazy. hopefully we fix it's, it because we will know, always need people to cook. Yes, you will, and I think within the next maybe x amount of years, we'll start seeing the people that have grit. Uh, the few of, of this generation still have that grit. I think they'll kind of shine through, and those are the ones that are going to continue on. But it's going to take a while. Because, I, I mean, we all know how it is right now. It's like it's impossible to find good cooks right now and or just help in general. And, uh, you know, eventually those ones that stick around and actually learn and realize what this industry is and if they're passion-driven or if they're – or if it ended up not being for them, they're going to come through and we'll have those people, but it's kind of rough right now. It's crazy. Yeah, hopefully it's generational. I mean, like, my wife and I go back and forth. She's a few years, she's like seven years younger than me. And I'm, uh-huh. and, and like, I would say that um, I don't know if I wouldn't I, I know how to categorize her generation or my generation if if we're in the in the same generation. Um, yeah. but it's one of those things where, um, where, uh, uh, it's one of those things where, like, I'm pretty hard on, on, we have a six-year-old son and a daughter that's going to be three, and I, I'm pretty hard on my son. Like, 
And then I think sometimes she thinks like I'm a little too hard, but then I, I'm of that thing of like, like, man, we gotta, we gotta get these people ready for like what's really, you know, we gotta get our kids ready for like what's really gonna happen out there. Yeah. And it brings me to an, it brings me to something interesting and I'll tell you we're at, we're at uh, an hour and 12 minutes. So, um, if we can go a little bit further, cool. If not, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll pick up another time. You let me know. I'm good. I'm, uh, I'm just doodling and listening. I'm doodling a uh, giraffe on a, on a unicycle and, and listening to you right now. So I got nothing else to do. We're good. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. So, so, so I've got, I, I'm currently, I do a lot of audible and I'm, and I'm listening to this book right now. It's called, it's called, um, okay. I'll have to tell you what it's called in just a moment. Let me, uh, let me hold on one second. Uh, Audible is a, a great thing though. Uh, it's awesome because, you know, I try to listen, to, I, I try to do, um, at least one hour of listening to somebody talk. Um, you know, books, audibles, uh, podcasts, whatever it may be, uh, a day. And so that's usually takes my drives to home, you know, on the way back and forth or wherever I'm going. Um, so Audible is awesome. I will, I will say that. And that's a nice little plug for you. Maybe you'll get a sponsor there. Audible. Hey, what up, everyone? It's Matt. And I just wanted to take a moment to thank everyone for listening and giving your feedback and suggestions and and helping me out any way that you can with the with the program. Remember, if you like what you're here and you want to be a patron, you can click on one of the links that's on our on the info pages of the podcast show notes on any of the major platforms that you're listening to us on. Uh, you can subscribe and donate however much you'd like uh, on an ongoing basis or make it a one-time deal. But remember, I do do this for fun and for free, so... If you feel like you want to just say, hey, Matt, here's a little shout-out for you, and you want to do that, then awesome. I hope that you're enjoying today's episode as much as I did when I was recording it. And I just wanted to thank everyone for participating. And stay tuned, because here comes the final segment with Rene Negron. We were talking about a book that I, I do a lot of yes. audio books. So I'm listening to this book right now. It's called The Coddling of the American Mind. And then the, 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 the subtitle is about, it's, I think the subtitle is like how good ideas or good intentions and bad ideas are setting up a, a generation for failure. And it's yeah. so interesting because he taught the, the, it was written by a psychologist and I don't know, it's two guys that wrote it, but the book is just like talking all about the stuff that you and, you know, some of the stuff that you and I have talked about and then yeah. just stuff in education and how kids are like, they're, you know, in college saying that they need safe, they need to feel safe emotionally yeah. and can't have certain speakers and can't read certain books because they may get offended and like how words are, now people are saying that words are causing harm and that word, words equal violence. It, dude, it, it's a trip. Like, like, and I'm like, holy crap, like, like I, I, if I, if I felt that way when I was a kid, I would have been, I would have died a long time ago. Like my yeah. my family growing up, my family growing up. I mean, like we weren't we weren't uh, the you know we had all kinds of characters in my family, and like 
swearing was an everyday part of life and like people's opinions, you know, people's yeah. opinions were shared on a, on a daily basis and, you know, no one gave yeah. a shit what you felt. <laughs> no one really cared. It's, like, it's like crazy. what the kids felt. Yeah. You know, but, yeah. but this book it talks about how we just, we like, we like shelter kids from too much nowadays and like they need more risk yeah. because, because, you know, the guy brought up, and I don't know if this was on another podcast, but I was listening to the author on a podcast and he was saying, he's like, imagine if you told, like, there's, you know, something that you tell kids not to do until they're like 15 right now, whatever it is, you know, he's like, so we have these kids that we don't prepare for, and then at 15, we start trying to prepare them in three years to go out into the real world or to college or to do these things. He goes, he goes, imagine if you told a kid, you can't read until you're 15. Yeah. He was like, don't you, he was like, don't you think there would be like a lasting negative effect for, for probably the rest of their life? Like if we did that, it was one of those things where you're like, wow, I would never tell a kid not to read, but I would tell my kid, you can't go, you can't walk to the corner store. You know, like, yeah. like, like it's one of those things where he's like, people are getting arrested for letting their kids walk to the freaking market. Like, what the hell is right. it? Like, 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 it, it just, it just was interesting. Totally interesting. I get passionate about that subject a lot because I do feel like it's Generation Marshmallow. It's the generation of uh, particip- uh, participation trophies. Um, you know, yeah. hey, A for effort. But it's like, no, like, you know, is America having a, a, a problem now because we're lacking grit where other countries are picking it up? You know, like, do we, are we, are we coddling so much that we're not becoming number one anymore? Like, and there's, and I, don't, I don't know, I get really passionate about it, uh, you know, and, I, and then when I send somebody, they automatically think they're right because they're offended. And it's like, just because you're offended doesn't mean you're right. It just means you yeah. know, handle it or whatever, whatever the case is. But it, it, it's it's nuts. Like I I I get into the subject and I get passionate about it because um, I don't know. When I grew up, my parents didn't coddle me. They didn't shelter me from the outside world. Like when I was young, I knew all the problems the world had. I know there was suffering. I know there was uh, death. I know all that stuff was out there, and like they didn't coddle me with that. And I think now that we we do hide and shelter. So much when they come across those things, it's almost like you're not desensitized to it anymore. Which I guess you can argue if that's good or bad. But I mean, I think there's a uh, there's a level of being desensitized to things where you can still progress in life and still be better and, and not be offended by things and and getting hung up on small little things like that that don't in the in the big picture. I might get killed for this later on in the world. Who knows? But that doesn't really matter. Like. You know, like I, I'm probably gonna offend a ton of people by saying that, but it, it, these little things just don't really matter in the big picture, and, and, and it's just it's it's crazy. It, it, yeah, I can go on days. Yeah, and, you yeah you, of, and I don't know if a lot of industries you know, have the same problem, but in the kitchens you see it often. You know, you you'll tell somebody countless times, do it this way. I need you to cut it this size, in this fashion, in this speed. But they don't want to challenge themselves. Like they, they'll do it, but they're doing it at like a glacier pace. And then when you get on them, they're like they they they, they shut down. Yeah. Like, Look, I, you gotta understand. There's a lot of pressure coming from everywhere, and we need to just make it happen. 
Like, it, it, yeah, like making it happen is not a thing anymore. <laughs> it's, it's crazy, yeah. So, yeah, Generation Marshmallow, that's how I feel. <laughs> I don't think you'll get crucified for any of the other stuff. You might get crucified by people for saying that. <laughs> but, but that's okay. You can defend your, you can defend your yeah. stance. And, and we're not that high profile that, like, dude, I, I, I mean, I implore you to go listen, to go read that book or, like, listen to that book. Because, because the guys, he cites all these, like, things that happen in colleges across the country. Like, like just today as I was driving home, he was talking about this college, Evergreen College. Yeah, yeah. Where, yeah. have you heard of that place in Washington? Yes, I've And it's like a totally, totally progressive college. And just the yeah. thing that happened there a few years back was like, holy crap. Like, like, just, I mean, just amazing. Like where the, the students, the the president of the uh, the university ended up saying like oh yeah the students did exactly what we taught them to do and I'm listening to it going the I'm listening to it going the students freaking like they held people hostage because they didn't like how one person advocated for for a certain group of people to stay away from the university for a day. It was, yeah. it was like, it was totally just mind blowing. And I'm like, Oh my God. But yeah, the, 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 we could, we could go on for another like two hours talking about, oh, yeah. talking about those if, kinds of things. I wonder if the date it's still even a subject in, in, in high school anymore. Like is it still a class or an extracurriculum thing anymore? I mean, can you debate nowadays with, with the type of generation? Know. You know, it's, I have no idea. No, yeah, it's an interesting thought to think about that. Like, sit down and actually debate with somebody without them being offended by fact. That's true. That's true. Because <laughs> uh, uh, I took I took speech and debate. It was an elective yeah. in, in when I was in high school. But we're talking almost thirty years ago now. I'm old, man. Yeah. I'm old. <laughs> so what? What's the? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, they they tell you you know keep emotion out of debate like it has to be fact and it, you know, or or you're convincing in a way but emotion you can't show your emotions so is that something that they still can do now you know right. yeah you're just as good as mine you're closer to high school <laughs> than me you're closer than that's I true. am to high school yeah, you should, I might have I some people that I know that have I have I have for, I. I have friends that have high school kids in high school, so I'll I'll go I'll call. Them. <laughs> um, yeah, just for, in the in last couple of minutes, I, I have the natives natives getting restless. I have the natives getting restless in the uh, in the in the household here. But uh, uh, what's next on the horizon? What do you what do you see happen in the next couple of years for you? Um. So my end goal is to eventually open my own place. Uh, as is as is the dream for every chef, but um, I think that reality is becoming closer and closer. Um, I want to continue to grow with who I'm at, with, with who I am, with, or sorry, with who I'm with right now, as far as my, uh, where I'm currently working. The course is, uh, providing me with so many tools and they're constantly, uh, you know, pushing me to get better and, and to learn more. And when you find a management team and an ownership team that really values um, further educating yourself and growing 
and uh, they've been great mentors for, towards me. And so um, I feel like I owe them uh, the world because they've opened my eyes to a whole other level. So I want to continue to go with them as they're growing, and we have plans to expand and, and uh, become bigger and bigger. And there's a project coming soon that we've been kind of talking about, and I think it's going to happen. And so, oh, awesome. um, so yeah. Um, and I think it's going to be more of a style that um, I'm, 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 I guess I'm just really excited to learn it and then and actually just keep progressing and, and moving forward with that. But, um, you know, every day is, a, is an interesting uh, dilemma, I guess. And, you know, there's you can work every single day and just get beat up, beat up, and beat up. Like, and the restaurant industry is very notorious for this, but... Um, you know, you'll get in your car the other night. You're just like, what the hell am I doing? Why am I doing this? My body hurts. My mind is just going crazy. I said, I I go to work and my my wife's already at work, and I get home and she's sleeping, and I don't get to see her, and like, you almost feel like a stranger in your own world. Um, but then like you get this, uh, it just takes one person that to really appreciate what you're doing or to acknowledge what your plan is or who you are and, and, you know, what you're doing as far as the, the big picture of everything. And they're on, they're in the ride with you and they appreciate what you do. And, and that makes it worth everything. So, you know, every day that answer switches and, 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 and changes, you know, constantly it's always, it's always flourishing because there's days where I'm just like, I'm done with this. And then there's days where I'm, I'm in love with it again. It's like a, it's a crazy mistress, you know, so, yeah. but at the end of the day, this is all I know, and this is what I do, and I just want to continue moving forward. And uh, but big picture, and at the end of the day, I, I'm just going to keep growing with them and, and moving forward. We just, you know, we're getting recognized really well, and uh, we're constantly learning. I can't, I, I, I keep going forward, you know. And then just keep throwing axes, man. That's my new thing. So that's what I do. Oh wow, man, throwing axes. We're gonna. I'm gonna. Go with you sometime. You're going to take me to the yeah. axe throwing place, and then we're going to yes. come back and talk about throwing axes. Oh, man, I'm telling you. I did it one time, and ever since then, I, I, I literally go twice, three times a week. It's my new thing. So you gotta, you I, gotta get like a, you gotta get like a Saturday or a Sunday off, and then, and then oh. give me like a couple weeks notice, and, and, uh, I, I'm intrigued. I, I was telling you last time I saw you, I don't know how it became a thing, but yeah. but it's totally a thing. So I'm, I'd, be, I'd be down to the new bowling. Watch out. They're going to yeah. have like, cra- going to have funky, crappy diners with cigarettes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> with freaking Flo, uh, yeah. Flo and Alice with Mel freaking saying um, kiss my girth in the back and then or like a, are you talking more like a Jupiter Bowl, like high end? Hey, there's uh, there's a market for both. Okay, okay, fair enough. Both. Okay, fair enough. There you go. <laughs> well, hey, hey, Renee, I wanna I wanna thank you for. Uh, I know we we kind of were missing each other there for a bit, but I wanna thank you for taking some time out on a on your day off, especially on a Monday afternoon to uh, to do this with me. I, I, it means a lot to me, man. I appreciate it. Hey, no problem. I appreciate you having me on. It was awesome just to shoot the shit and and uh, just talk about it, whatever. So I appreciate it. 
Yeah, that's what we do, man. We just ramble. We ramble. There you go. Well, I'll, I'll be talking to you soon. Take care, bud. All right, take care. Bye.